You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Conversations on life, style, beauty, and relationships. It's the Velvet's Edge podcast with Kelly Henderson. What's up, you guys? It's Kelly. I'm just coming in to give you a little backstory of this week's podcast, both the Velvet and the Edge. Our guests this week are Claire Bowen and Brandon Robert Young, who now form the duo Bowen Young. I would assume that you guys probably remember Claire as Scarlett O'Connor on the hit show Nashville and Brandon from his many years as part of the John Hyatt trio. But now the duo is married and they are taking their music into their own hands with Bowen Young. So Chip and I's conversation with Claire and Brandon ended up being so great with so many little life nuggets of wisdom, which you guys know I'm a sucker for, so I couldn't cut anything out. I just decided to make it a double episode this week so you guys can get all of those nuggets. In today's episode, we get the backstory of both of them, what it was like moving to Nashville for Claire coming from Australia. That was obviously a huge transition, especially after battling pediatric cancer for most of her life. And then with Brandon's story of moving to Nashville, he came without a plan and he just was pursuing his dreams of being a musician and a songwriter. And he's told us a lot about what that actually looks like, what the grind looks like and how to chase your dreams when you feel like you don't know what you're doing. They also told the story of falling in love and getting engaged at none other than the Grand Ole Opry. Chip and I both said it was very refreshing to see genuine love between two people. I mean, honestly, Chip even said this conversation made him believe in love again. So who knows what's in store, y'all? I hope you guys enjoy part one. Here's our conversation. Hey, Chip. Hi. It's still spooky season. <laughs> Are you You're feeling glamorous today, though? Thank you. I left my house this morning, so <laughs> I actually had to do something with myself. Um, I'm really excited about our guest today. Should we bring them Me in? Me too. Yes, of course. So we are here with Claire Bowen and Brandon Robert Young, who now make up the duo of Bowen and Young. But most of you guys probably know Claire from her, her 
journey on the show Nashville for a really long time. And we've got all kinds of stories about both you guys. And I cannot wait to talk about this duo. Thank you so much for being here. We're so excited to talk to y'all. Did you just call me a whore right off the bat? (laughs) A whore? Did I say that? I said roll. Did it sound like whore? I was like, I call like that for her and roll, and I just, I absolutely love it. I'm like that. Whore Asheville. <laughs> I don't remember Scarlett being a whore, was she? Did I miss? That? No, she wasn't at all. She was lovely. Things just kept happening to her. It was really quite stressful all the time. Poor girl. Poor girl. Well, it I was. was so good. <laughs> well, I was telling you guys before we got on this podcast that. I love these kind of conversations because I do think, you know, it's like everyone knows you from the show Nashville and now you guys have this amazing duo. And so they're seeing you guys have this success, but they don't know a lot of what the journey looked like to get there. I didn't know half of it. And I learned so much in researching with you guys. So I think that we want to kind of talk about what you have going on, but also we want to give the listeners just the backstory of all the things that you have gone through to get to this place in your life, because I think that's such a big, important conversation for us to have with each other of just the connection of like, Hey, life isn't easy for anyone. Like we all have stuff and, um, it's how you overcome those moments. And I was also explaining to y'all that a big topic this month for us is overcoming fear. So mm-hmm. I found a lot of that in both of your stories. And I think there's some really cool things we can talk to the listeners about, but let's just start with. Um, Maybe let's start with how you got to Nashville. I know, Claire, you came from Australia. So talk us a little bit through that journey. Uh, well, it was, um, I was doing Spring Awakening at the Sydney Theatre Company. And our, we were very lucky. Our artistic director was uh, Kate Blanchett. And she took me aside one day and, and said, like, it was like right before opening night. And uh, said, asked me if I'd ever thought about going to the US. And I said, no, that sounds terrifying. And she said, well, you should probably... <laughs> But anyway, so I did. Yeah. Um, and I was, gosh, I was doing pilot season. It was my, my very first pilot season and got this wonderful script called Nashville and stood at my agent's desk and damn near read the whole thing. She was like, are you going home now? I'm like, yeah, sorry. Um, mm-hmm. On the day <laughs> um, I fell in love with Scarlett immediately, the character that I played. Um, and on the on the day of the audition, it rained, and when it rains in California, everyone forgets how to drive. So my bus didn't show up, so I didn't show up to the audition for I think three hours afterwards after my time was supposed to happen. Oh, no. I called my agent, so I was like, "Guys, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm I look like a drowned rat, and I'm really late. And the bus just like three of them haven't shown up, and I don't know what to do. I don't think I had money for a cab, and they were like, "You have to get there. Just figure it out. They want to they want to m- meet the Australian." Uh, Vendler from Spring Awakening. I'm like, okay, I didn't know they knew I did that. Um, so I made it happen, got there, and it was literally this like, it was late at night. It was like eight, eight, eight nine o'clock, and it was literally a light at the end of the tunnel, this really long, dark hallway, and they'd waited for me. Um, and it was Jeannie Bacharach's lovely assistant, who makes it sound like a magician. Um, <laughs> who waited and was sitting there with a the camera and was like, all right, sing. So I did and did the words and did. And she invited more and more people into the room and um, they were like, all right, we need you back in the morning to sing for Callie and T-Bone and, um, and RJ and everything changed within, it was like my life, my whole life changed in about 36 hours and then 
they called me and they were like, Hey, you're moving to Nashville. I was like, great. Where is that? Um, <laughs> yeah, here I am. <laughs> Wait, how old did you say you were? Uh, gosh, it's probably 20, 23, 20. Wow. I don't know. I don't know. 20s. So horrible you, that all goes into one. Just Yeah. Yeah. Especially the last couple of years. Um, but so you just up and left the country that you were born and raised in. Did you know anyone in Nashville? Nope. Um, when I, I was the first cast member to move here that wasn't local and I got myself a little cottage in Sylvan park behind an eight foot hedge so that nobody would come near me and no one would talk to me. Cause I, I was really, really shy. Um, kind of more, I don't think I was properly I wasn't socialized the same as everyone else. I grew up half in a children's hospital, um, undergoing cancer treatment, and then half in rural Australia. So I was incredibly introverted, but I didn't know what an introvert was. I thought I was just, I don't know, like I didn't, I thought it was just weird or stupid. So I stayed away from everyone. Um, and it was it was interesting becoming very visible all of a sudden, even though I knew that that's what came with what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it was a pretty mad roller coaster of a of an experience, but I wouldn't change it for the world. It was so wonderful. I've always how, one go ahead, Chad. I was gonna ask, like as an introvert, like what drove you to the stage? I don't know. <laughs> 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 I really like telling stories. Um, one of the things I guess about being in a hospital was we watched a lot of movies and it was like you know, the, the late 80s when I was stuck in there for however long it was, um, and you had to make your own fun. Uh, so I was good at talking to people who didn't know how to talk to anyone else, so we were all kind of, we were all kind of a bit different. Like when I when I first got to normal school, uh, normal, I mean normal is a setting on a dryer, but like the average school where children are not missing arms and legs and things like that, I didn't understand what I was seeing because everyone was whole mostly Mm. um so I grew up in a place where you could be anything um and the outside world was a whole lot more frightening out there so I never understood why people would be made fun of for the way they look like the color of their skin or how many limbs they're missing you know what I mean like I didn't it was a real shock when I got out of hospital yeah Um, so I don't know I think maybe part of me slipped into a place in my mind that was Almost if I was if I was telling a story and playing a character, uh, it was almost like a barrier between me and everybody else. Mm. Um, but my family have always been really supportive and um, accepting and encouraging and in all of my eccentricities. So <laughs> thankfully, um, I guess that's what made me brave enough to not that I would call myself very brave, but reckless enough to come over here and risk everything. Yeah. Um, I was saying to Chip, whenever we uh, booked you guys to be on the podcast, I was like, do you think that she is aware, any of the cast members are aware of the impact of that show on our city? Like how much it's actually changed the city of Nashville and really Mm -hmm. put it on the radar in such a different capacity and way? Like, are y'all aware of that? Or is that something y'all talk about? I think I'm acutely aware of it just because I'm. I moved here in 2000, and so I watched Nashville change, you know, in 
2000 to probably 2005, it was when you were starting to see 12 South start to mm-hmm. kind of arrive. Um, and the, all those beautiful homes along Belmont Boulevard, many of which were sort of boarded up and the grass was three feet high and they were eyesores when I moved to town. And then they sort of started to systematically rehab that neighborhood and you know the little quick mart turned into 12 south tap room and then you know things just started to kind of come to life um but then you know to jump forward to when maybe the first season of nashville was done i mean you could just feel it like you could feel the city sort of this like kinetic energy in the city and it hasn't it hasn't stopped since like i've no watched it happen yeah yeah i, I recently re started re-watching the show i'm um, on hulu and it's it, i laugh when you see the like the drone shots of the city because it's like this little town so and now different. it's like i i live in east nashville so when i come across for work i'm just like where did the city come from? It's yeah. crazy to me. Yeah. yeah. There's a Cranes four everywhere. here now. That's exactly. <laughs> we yeah. have a Soho house now. In the, uh, the first <laughs> season, they bleached my eyebrows out, so I look like a human Q-tip. <laughs> <laughs> that is where my humor comes from in that show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, uh, the drone shots. I'm laughing at myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure there was there were, probably weren't great salons in Nashville back then to like give you good advice. And right, we've grown a lot there needed. too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we yeah. should mention that Brandon, you were also a part of the show because you've had songs on the show as well. And so, um, and I want to talk a little bit about your story of coming to Nashville too because I love I love the part that you just showed up with a guitar you didn't know how to play. And talk that about is brave. So, talk <laughs> about brave. Yes. Um, so let's maybe dive into that. So tell us a little bit. You said you came to Nashville a lot earlier. Um, yeah. Did you know you were moving here to pursue music? Because the part of our sto- your story that we know is that you came to town with nothing except for a guitar that you actually didn't quite know how to play at that point. And your whole journey was just of teaching yourself and working your way up and really kind of doing the grind that I know Chip and I have seen so many artists really partake in in Nashville. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Yeah, I think for me, I grew up in Connecticut um, in a small town. My mom, you know, would sing at our bedside and sort of taught my sister and I how to sing. And I grew up singing in church in the choir. And my mom put me up in front of the church when I was five years old to sing my first solo. Um, And so you know, singing was always something that came natural to me. It wasn't something that I felt like I a had to really work at because it was just something that like, Oh, we just do it around the house or you do it mm-hmm. in church, whatever. Um, and I'm a terrible athlete. So in school, if I was going to do anything sort of extracurricular, it'd be a musical or a play or something like that. So when I got out of school, it was sort of, you know, what am I going to do with my life? Mm-hmm. I would love to do something creative my mom said, Brandon, you're different. Like I always thought, oh, I've got to put on a suit and tie and go get a job doing something like my dad does, you know, sales and marketing and things like that. My mom was like, you know, you're different than your dad and that's okay. You know, and it's a beautiful part of you. You don't have to do what, what your dad does. And so at that point, I kind of decided I'm either going to try my hand at acting or try my hand at music. And as I sort of looked at it, it was either 
Acting, I have to operate off someone else's script. I have to read someone else's words. Music, if I do it right, I can write my own. And so somebody suggested Nashville after I had sort of checked LA and New York off the list because LA was the opposite side of the country from Connecticut. My mom would have just mm-hmm. died. And New York was <laughs> really close. And so that didn't feel like going far enough away. And somebody said Nashville. And I came to visit for one weekend and honestly felt like it was the friendliest city I'd ever been in. So I moved here in my uh, Honda Civic and quite literally like had never written a song. Um, didn't know how to play guitar. I asked my parents to buy me a guitar and they got me this $250 Yamaha guitar. And I worked as a legal courier downtown Nashville delivering documents for lawyers for four years. And at night I would sit in my apartment and 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 learn how to play guitar and write songs. And then my first song or my first time playing was um, at the exit in. I was opening for a singer songwriter there, terrified. I could play yeah. four or five. Well, four or five songs sat on a stool because my knees were knocking and I was just, you know, and I just kept going. I just, um, I felt like I'm a, you know, pretty bad at self-promotion, but I felt like if the art is good, then maybe people would come back. And so I just kept going. I just yeah. never stopped and found my way through, you know, almost record deals and you know publishing deals and management deals and then getting dropped and and then I found my way to working with John Hyatt for nine years on the road and that was a whole beautiful education in and of itself and traveled the world with him and you know and then Claire and I met and here we are. I wish we will get to that story because everyone loves a good love story. So we have to hear all the details. Um, I love your story though, because to me, that is the real Nashville story. Like it's, it's not this glamorous thing where you come often. It's not like this easy thing that you show up and you get a record deal and everything works out, you know, and the grind is, is not very glamorous. And I know like I resonate with that. I don't know if you feel that way, Chip, but like part of my journey was having a degree in public relations. And that's why I moved here. And then I hated it. And so then it was like teaching myself how to do all the things that I do now and what that looks like while you're waiting tables to pay your bills and all of that stuff isn't the stuff that people talk about, you know? Mm -hmm. And so were you like, when you were, was there ever a moment where you felt like, maybe this isn't going to work and I just need to give up? Or did you just always say like, I'm going to keep going? Uh, there was definitely a time after I had sort of gotten dropped. What you know, there were a couple uh, record deals on the table in LA, and the publishing deal and management, and all this stuff. And there was like this sort of moment in the sun where I sort of felt like the clouds were parting, and all this work that I had done, things were starting to come to fruition. And then, as they do in this business, things sort of started to crumble yeah. beneath me. And then I was literally felt like I was standing, you know naked in the middle of the city going, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like Mm -hmm. I'm broke. I, my head is spinning because I've been running around town, writing with, with everyone that, that everyone said I should write with because Mm -hmm. we were chasing this mythical (laughs) hit single that, that I didn't know what that was, but neither did the people who were (laughs) us. But we were (laughs) exactly. (laughs) So we were chasing it and I felt like 
I got to the place where I didn't know how to write songs on my own anymore. And I called my buddy, uh, who is not a musician and he lives in LA. And I said, man, I think I just need to get away for a minute and figure out how to write songs. He's like, well, come on out. And he had a one bedroom apartment. Yeah. Sixth and Cloverdale, Miracle Mile area in LA. And I slept on his couch for eight months. And I just wrote songs every day by myself. I didn't hang out with musicians. None of his friends were, were musicians. And I just wrote about two albums worth of songs on my own. And when I felt like I could write songs on my own again, that's when I moved back to Nashville. And I was like, okay, I'm ready to come back. And I'm ready to sort of, you know, me 2.0, you know, mm. figure out what this next chapter of music is going to look like for me. Um, but yeah, it was, it was scary and sad. And I'd be lying if I didn't say I had a lot of really dark, depressed days because I felt like a failure. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there's something in me that won't let me give up. Like it won't let me quit. Like, mm -hmm. even if I'm super dark, I'm just like, Oh no, no. Like I just can't because I moved here 22 years ago to write songs and sing them. And that's what I have to do. And what am I going to do now? I mean, I can't just switch gears. <laughs> You're like, now I'm really stuck. Yeah. Now, now you can start working on being a better athlete, you know? <laughs> if you know anything about me, you know I am a massive creature of comfort. It is one of my top priorities in life to make my surroundings comfortable at all times. So when I found Cozy Earth, I quickly scooped up all of the luxurious bedding and loungewear that I could. It felt very on brand for me, but then I went on a trip with a girlfriend not too long ago where she could not stop commenting on how cute and comfy my pajamas were, which then made me realize they may also be my new favorite travel companion as well. Guys, I am not kidding when I say you will experience unmatched softness and smoothness with all of Cozy Earth's products. The temperature-regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew add comfort and a touch of style to any travel ensemble, and their bedding comes in the most adorable totes, making it a super easy gift to give anyone. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code VELVETSEDGE at the checkout for an exclusive 35% off, and let them know we sent you when you're at the checkout. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant 
just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Well, Claire, you kind of touched on this a little bit when you were talking to us about your childhood, but something I learned about you was that you did have a diagnosis of pediatric cancer, which I've never heard you talk about that in an interview or um, even as a part of your story. And so it was shocking to me to hear that you were diagnosed at four. Is that right? Can, can you tell us a little bit about that? And it obviously has impacted your life so much. I want to hear more about that story. Um, yeah, I think, um, gosh, I remember sitting on the couch and there was this cat that used to come to the back door and, uh, I, I love animals and grew up again in rural Australia. Like I was probably around more animals than people and we were minding somebody's house in Sydney for something. Um, and mum said, oh, Claire Butch is here. This is the Russian blue cat that used to get, he had like six families. He was little but very fat. Um, and I remember like I would go running to see Butch because I loved him so much. And this one day I was sitting on the couch, I was watching a cartoon or something, and I felt so sick. I was just like so tired. And I've been getting more and more tired over like the last sort of, it, it manifested I was born with cancer. That's basically what mm. they think. Um, but it didn't become apparent until a month before I really crashed. And mom had taken me to the doctor several times and said, there is something wrong. Please, like, please, can you, can you check? Can you scan? Can you test? Can you? And the doctor, this, the couple of doctors said to her, you're paranoid. She's your first baby. Go home and get some sleep. And really patronizing towards mm. her. Um, and I remember sitting on the couch and just like, I, I thought I felt so guilty. I remember feeling horrible because I just didn't care that the cat was there. And I felt so awful. I was like, oh God, I've got to get up. This is awful. He's going to hate me. <laughs> I'm going to have to apologize. So I tried to get up to apologize to the cat for not being excited to see him. And my legs didn't work and I just couldn't make them move. Um, and my dad had come home from Singapore. I think he'd been gone for three days. And I, I'm like, I could move them, but I just, it was like, it was very strange. It was almost like that feeling right before you pass out where everything is kind of out of control. Mm. And mom had taken me to the doctor just a few days before and been told again that she was crazy. And she was like, no, something is wrong. Dad gets home after not seeing me for three days, takes one look at me and is like, she's changed again. Let's go. So they took me to the emergency department at Camperdown, I think, um, in Sydney. And I was diagnosed in the emergency room um, and they gave me two weeks to live. Oh, and my God. Yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. Mum and dad are two of the strongest people. Like I can't imagine that fear. Mm-hmm. That's, wow. Like how do, you, uh, how do you even reconcile that in your brain? Mum said that, that every, yeah, I, I can't. Mum said that every word the doctor said was she was sure that there were bullet holes in the wall behind her because that's what it felt like. Mm. And they said, look, we'll give you pain medication and you can take her home and just go go and have the best weekend and do everything, like let her eat all of her favourite foods and, and say goodbye. And mum and dad were like, you can't. How, wait, no, no, no. <laughs> and so they they managed to get a hold of a doctor who was brave enough to allow 
us to do this experimental treatment that really hadn't been tested on anyone or anything. Um, so mum and dad signed a waiver form to say that if the chemotherapy regimen killed me outright, that they wouldn't sue um, because it was so, it was like pretty crazy doses. Um, and they started it that, I think, like, I think they started that night. Um, but I remember being really cold in the hospital and I was, I shouldn't have overheard the conversation. I just, I remember like a wooden door that was kind of like a hollow, I don't know, it was the thin door to the doctor's office and I was sitting, I must have been with my grandmother, she probably was holding me. And I remember the doctor saying two weeks and she's gone. Um, and it was really cold because I'd never been in air conditioning before, only like rich people have air conditioning where we come from. <laughs> probably, <laughs> oh, I guess. Um, and uh, mum and dad came out of the room and I, I asked them, are there heaters in heaven because I was cold, um, which is one of the saddest fucking things I've ever heard. Oh, sad. I was like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and mum mom said, you know what, they don't need them up there, but you don't, don't, you, you don't have to go there yet. You've got to stay. So I did. Um, and it was awful and one of those experiences that I'm also so grateful for. And there are lots of children who didn't make it out, and I did. So that was a whole like the discovery of having survivor's guilt was mm. interesting journey. Um, it was a very, no, no better or worse than anybody else's childhood, just very different where you learn about mortality real quick because somebody yeah. pretty much passed away every day. Uh, and it's like being, you know, one of the last men standing, so to speak, um, and the back and forth of like getting better, not getting better. and. Uh, I think lots of surgery, lots of surgery. <laughs> Literally got cut in half once um, they, to get the, the like ma main part of the cancer out. But uh, yeah, it, I don't, I don't know if it makes you different or anything like that. Definitely doesn't make you better than anyone because I don't know any different. People always right. ask like, does it? How does it change you? I was like, well, I didn't get a chance to be anything first. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm just but my, it was my parents who were the brave ones. They were, I mean, that's that's just somebody tearing your heart out and stomping on it, telling you something like that, like baby. Um, but I made it and it's thanks to a very brave doctor named Margaret and my wonderful parents and my family and, yeah, it's, mm, it's probably got something to do with the introversion thing. <laughs> yeah. I was going <laughs> to say, what do you think? the like is there something tangible that you feel that experience has given you as a person like all of the hard experiences in my life that sucks so bad and I feel like I'm gonna die and they just you know they're crippling in all these ways end up making me into a better version of myself ultimately after mm. um, but of course you can't always see that when you're in it and so I'm wondering if there's something that you can tie to going through that at such a young age that you feel it's given you as a human maybe it's like the ability to overcome things or resiliency? Like, is there anything that you can um, tangibly identify in your personality now? Very difficult to kill. Um, <laughs> yes. Look at that. few <laughs> 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 attempts, but you know, um, I don't know. I, you know, I grew up, I still sweat the small stuff sometimes like we all do. Like I, 
I I have a really hard time understanding why people are cruel to each mm. other. Like I think it's it was so interesting getting to university, which was one of the worst bullying experiences of my life. I wasn't even bald. Like I went to school before and I was fucking bald. The kids there were nice to me. The kids at university were horrid. Um, and I was like, how do you all think you have the time to be mean to each other? Right. Like you got you really you really don't understand how short time mm-hmm. can be. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, I suppose, I don't know, just that, that my life has been a series of miracles and serendipitous, like, getting out by the skin of my teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess it's a little bit like Brandon where I just, the only option is to succeed somehow and where the success is get the essay turned in on time because you didn't fucking do any of the reading and you haven't done your homework for about a year and you just, you've got two hours to get in or surviving cancer um, or, I don't know, poor Brandon singing at the Bridgestone with 24 hours notice with some girl <laughs> that he doesn't know. <laughs> you just make it happen. Um, yeah. Well, that's a really good segue into how you guys met, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for teeing that one up for us. Yes, exactly. She should be well, on the podcast. <laughs> there's Brandon with the sports reference. Oh, yes, look at yeah. that. Look, you are an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> Never sell yourself short. Um, so what is the story? I know I heard that I'm hearing bits and pieces, but it's you, Claire, were going to perform at Bridgestone but you needed a duet partner that didn't show up. Is that what happened? Tell us the story. Uh, this person who was supposed to sing with me bailed at the last minute. And um, my team were like, it's all right. We know somebody sings really beautifully. We want you to write with him. And we really wanted you to meet him for a while. And this is just kind of perfect because I was stressed and frightened and I'd never, I mean, I'd sung in front of, I suppose, about that many people before when the show started. But this was my set and I'd never done a solo set before with a band. Like I came up in musical theatre and opera, so there's normally a guy with a stick in front of you telling you what to do. Right. And he wasn't there. He <laughs> <laughs> um, was like, it's all right, we'll, we've, we've got somebody uh, that we'd like you to meet. And I, the, I wasn't there for the next bit. And I, yeah, so I was in my little, I was living in a garage apartment um, in Germantown off Fifth Avenue. And I was at home working on a song and got a text message that said, stop what you're doing, download the song and call me. It was a really random, that was a random text, but I, so I listened to the song and made the call and said, Hey, I was like, Hey, can you sing that song? I was like, yeah, I can sing that song. Can you kill it? And I was like, yeah, I can kill it. Great. I need you at the Bridgestone Arena in 24 hours to sing with my client. And I was like, your client, what are you talking about? And so I kind of got the rundown and, uh, you know, they just needed me for the one song. And I was in the thick of it with with John Hyatt. We were getting ready to leave for a three-month tour. And um, I had rehearsals with John all day, the day of Claire's show. And I was like, this is going to be tough. I don't know. And her manager was like, uh, you know, like, just tell me you can make it happen and i was like all right i'll make it happen so i finished rehearsal with john ran home changed my clothes met claire 
in her dressing room backstage at the Bridgestone. And we ran through the song twice uh, with her guitar player and then went out and played it to a sold out crowd. And I literally walked off stage after singing with Claire, handed the mic to the stage manager and went and got on a bus and left with Hyatt for three months. And Claire and I sort of stayed in touch over text, you know, once or twice a month. And uh, her former team had said, you know, hey, Claire's going to make a record and we think you guys have a cool chemistry. Um, maybe we get you guys together to write. So when I got home, um, trying not to sneeze right now. Um, <laughs> I too, I too. Yeah. Um, when I got home, we got together and wrote our first song and our first song turned into our second song and we just kept going. And then it was, you know, I don't know how much. It was much a while. It was almost a year. That we were writing and. Yeah, we tried really hard not to fall in love. Really hard. Yeah. We we <laughs> yeah. But the thing, Brent, I tell you about like singing in your hometown um, is a like Nashville feels like my hometown, but I didn't I didn't do all of my growing up here. I came here on a television show, and it was you know relatively it was very different. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was easy. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It was very different to what other people's experience of that you know. However, if you do fall on your face and you're on a television show, you do it in front of like 12 million people. So there's right. that. But <laughs> there's still that hometown thing where I still have it when I go back to Australia. Um, my hometown is a really, it's a pretty wild place to go back to and, and sing. So Brandon's in, this is his hometown. He's lived here for 20 years. Um, so to get called to play one of the biggest venues in your hometown with some like actress who thinks that she's a singer or whatever people thought that I was, um, who don't know who you know might be drunk. I don't know, like right. you, you know, you don't know what you're going to get. And totally. Brandon, I think you were really brave. And then when you came in, you walked into my dressing room, and I immediately, like, I felt like I knew him already, but I immediately wanted to know everything about him. And I was like, oh, I want to be your best friend. You're lovely. And then uh, he sang down and sang to me, and this song that I had sung hundreds and hundreds of times before. And I'm thinking. These guys are fucking with me. He's an actor. He's singing too. It was so, it, there was something really beautiful about the way, I don't know, just everything about him was beautiful. And um, we went up, well, we were about just about to walk on stage and I was standing in front of the stairs with my microphone, absolutely terrified. Uh, and my team had kind of fanned off when we're doing team things. And I was alone there and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to use a microphone before I got to Nashville. Buddy Miller taught me and he's a very good person because we're still friends and, I mean, I'm an idiot, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> his patience. But I, I feel this tap on, I don't think you even tapped me on the shoulder. I think I just heard you because if you had to touch me, I would have jumped a mile in there, <laughs> uh, a bit like that. And that's right. He said, hey, and I turned around and Brandon was standing there, this person that I just met, and he was like, you're going to be great and they're going to love you. It's going to be okay. Because he knew that look of like, oh, God. <laughs> like yeah. Spine-crunching terror because you've been there and you were still with it enough, even though I'm sure you were nervous walking out in front of all those people with a song that you just sang through twice with whoever the fuck I was, um, mm. to be kind. And it was just a really... I don't know. I'll never forget it. It was so lovely. Um, and we just, we became friends and then accidentally fell in love writing a song. Mm-hmm. It's 
It's very Nashville. Yes, sounds like an episode. Yeah, a storyline for sure. (laughs) Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Relax this Sunday with a little moment to yourself and the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. So y'all wrote together for a year and then we're finally like, okay, jigs up. There's something more here. Well, we wrote... (laughs) We're sitting up in Brandon's little apartment writing the very first song we ever wrote together, which is all about your, like, the love of your life being right under your nose. And, yeah. And I'm, it's like, true. we're making... The irony. Yeah, I know. Ridiculous. So we're making the work tape and uh, I'm sitting there and I've never been so comfortable in a writing room before. Um, but I'm thinking, why does my face feel hot? I'm, like, I'm getting cold or something I'm gonna oh no I'm gonna give him a cold I have to go home and you know take something and we kept singing making the the work tape still going and my legs felt funny I'm like oh my god what the fuck is wrong with me I'm maybe blue and my stomach was all fluttery and because I didn't really know what butterflies were I'm very 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 late bloomer and um I I'm thinking oh no I'm gonna give him the flu or something and I'm gonna oh god I'm gonna have to apologize again like the cat shit and then realize oh no I like him and finished the work tape and was kind of like frozen there and then started packing my stuff as fast as I could into my satchel and he's sort of looking at me like do you want to go get something to eat I'm like nope nope gotta go, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really go grabbing my shit throwing it in my bag and he's like would you like a glass of wine I was like absolutely not and <laughs> Ran. Good try, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and he wasn't. I tried. He didn't even fight with me. But I literally ran out of the room. Like I shit you not, I legged it down the stairs across the street <laughs> through traffic, jumped in my truck and burst into tears because I didn't understand what I was feeling and, frankly, it was terrifying. Um, and it took a minute to calm down. Uh, and then I went home and I was like, I'm an adult. I can write with him without falling in love with him. This is ridiculous. Right. 
But Claire, get it together. And it didn't didn't work. (laughs) I love that is like the most human story, though, because most people be are, are they associate when you realize you love someone or like, like someone you want to be around them and you're like, Oh my God, I don't know what I'm feeling. Like, get me out of this. I can't, you're trying to control all the ways you felt and all the emotions that you're feeling. And like, we just can't, but it's funny. The things that we do trying to do that. You don't, you don't want to give yourself away either. It's like, I, I get to a point where I don't even want to make eye contact with them. I think I'm like, uh, I'm just here. Yeah. Don't look at me. My horse don't look at me. Eight days, sits in the back of the store. I'm like, I'm not here. <laughs> 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 um, poor Brandon is sitting up in the in his flat after I had run across the street, just kind of like, yeah. He's like, what do I smell? Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm like, oh no, so sorry. It worked out. Yeah. Was, were you feeling any of the same stuff at that point, Brandon, or were you kind of like a slower grow? Well, <laughs> probably. I mean, she's. You know, Claire's magic. So you recognize that immediately if you're around her. But I was very, very focused on the fact that I had been brought in by a professional management company to do a job, which was write songs with their artists that they represented. And, you know, from a sort of business perspective, it's like, just don't be an idiot and screw it up. Like go in, write the best songs that you can, um, you know, on down the road, I guess maybe six months in, we started going out and having Vietnamese food after we would write a song. And I remember um, doing something that I never would have done in the past, which was, I said to Claire, if you ever need like, an accompaniment partner, somebody to come out and play guitar for you and sing these songs. I'd love to throw my name in the hat. That is just not in my personality to do, but there was just something about her that was different. And so I sort of, in a lot of ways, went completely against the way that I would have conducted Mm. myself and put myself out there and just was like, if you ever need somebody, I would love to to be there and do that. And that's sort of what happened. You know, we started playing music together and, you know, and, and the more you're around somebody and the more you, you recognize how legitimate and genuine mm. that, that feeling is, that, that love, the connection, um, the more you realize, like, I just don't want to do another day without you. Mm. You know, I, I don't, want to do I don't want to do the fun stuff and I don't want to do the hard stuff without you and that's sort of where I came to personally where it was like no this is the real thing and so I'm just gonna say it it was after what my dad had gotten sick my dad had Mm -hmm. uh, heart surgery and I remember it being a thing where it was like I just wanted to be near her, like mm-hmm. going through all that stuff. Obviously I flew home off the road because I was out on tour with, with Hyatt and I flew home and I was with my family in the hospital and my dad came through surgery and then we were there for a week while dad was sort of recovering. Um, but I remember like outside of my family, she was the one I wanted to talk to. And so that was a real 
tell for me, mm-hmm. a real tell for me where I was personally, that this is the person that I want to link arms with and I want to live life together. And, and so that really was the thing when I came back from, from that trip, my dad going through surgery, it was just like, no, nah, time to say it. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did your management company have any issues like uh, it wouldn't have fucking mattered if they did honestly <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, game over <laughs> we're gonna get in trouble yeah we were, yeah, yeah. were leery that like they were gonna see this as you know something troubling but it it was received really really well so yeah. they probably already knew like you know when you can look at people and just tell that there's something more yeah. Your or friends. maybe I don't know. My friends, my friends yeah. definitely knew. Yeah. Definitely knew. They were just yeah. waiting for me to tell them. Yeah. Like to be to come clean. You know what I yeah. mean? They're all sitting around going, All right. This yeah. is done. Like this is a done deal. But they were waiting for me. And I'm kind of a keep my cards close to my chest kind of person. So when I finally did kind of come clean they're all like well it's about time yeah you know, <laughs> thank god it. yeah so i've read you quoted saying that love is a miracle and so that you should just lean in and or when you have it in front of you like to just really embrace it and i loved that because i think it is something that we take for granted or like even just relationships in general i think it's like so flippant these days everyone's like on to the next and it's so mm-hmm. special when you can really embrace another human in that capacity i love that you guys spent the time to actually get to know each other too yeah i think that's it was, beautiful oh thank you uh, it was important I mean, we we had both come out of relationships that were so bad that um we both separately decided we told each other later that we decided that we were just happier alone mm-hmm. before each other um mine was really abusive and scary uh and brands was a whole different thing and it was we have both been yours was abusive too and it's just we had been through the ringer and just decided that this is just not what i like it it just doesn't seem like what happens in in stories it's not there it's not out there and if that's not it then what's the point Mm. like i'd rather have really good friends and then and then he wanted to hang out with me and i was like this magical, gorgeous angel person wants to <laughs> play the guitar for me. Like, really? And I think this was right after I'd squirted him in the eye with lime by accident because I was putting it in my fart. And it, it's like when I try to throw a football or any ball that's not ball shaped, it just goes the opposite way. Of, I totally like blinded him. And he was like, By the way, can I come and play the guitar for you? I was like, Okay. You're like, He's still talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it was just. When he came back from his dad being sick, I had, I think I texted you and was like, hey, I know that you're stuck in the hospital. If there's any like jargon that the doctors are saying that you don't understand or that sounds scary, you want anything translated, which is the weirdest thing to say to somebody. But in my world, that's normal. Yeah. Right. And he was like, what does this mean? I was like, oh, that. And was like, oh, you actually want to talk to me about my weird, like all of this random medical knowledge that's burnt in there because that's where I grew up mm-hmm. but it's you know it's that useless information that comes in handy like once in your life <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 it was really really lovely yeah 
So you guys got together and you proposed at the Ryman. Did I get this right? Or at the Grand Ole Opry? We were playing the Opry um, in December. You know how they, they do, they move the Grand Ole Opry back, back to Ryman yes. for the month of December. Yes. So we were playing the early and the late show on a Friday night. And I had a decoy gift. Um, which was a handwritten. Oh, it was the lyrics to the first song. Yeah, it was the lyrics to the very first song that we wrote. Oh, Sorry, okay. the, the, cat, the cat is here. Oh, um, hello. That thing is <laughs> the, the, just a tail. Yeah. Swishing around the lens. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I had a decoy gift. And so after we finished, I had the ring in my pocket. After we finished the first show, we went up to our dressing room and I gave her the decoy gift so that. So while she was opening it and was focused on that, that's when I got down on my knee and asked her to to marry me. And uh, in true Australian form, she said, what do you reckon? (laughs) 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 Brandon's on the floor looking up and be like, what? I was like, oh, yes, Brandon, I'll marry you. (laughs) You're like, oh, I mean, yes. I was like, okay. (laughs) I thought you'd know what it meant, but I realized it's you know quite a charged question, and I really should have been clearer. Uh, yeah. Sorry. So we had a quick uh, FaceTime with her folks and uh, Peter and my, folks. Asked my family. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Jason Isbell was playing downstairs, and so we went down and watched the song, and then we played the second show, and Claire announced it on WSM. Yeah. Wow. It was, it was really cool. It was really fun. Was there no part of you that like toyed with the idea of doing it on stage? Or did you know that it needed to be a private moment? There there was a moment where I actually thought about it, but I just felt like, you know, it would just be more powerful for it to just be us. There was so much in Claire's life at that point. You know, the show was everywhere and there was so much of her life that was not private at that point that I just felt like it was so much more meaningful for it to Mm. just be us and then we can tell people about it afterwards and so I mean 15 minutes later we told people on the radio (laughs) right (laughs) but the actual moment was us I like that right that's nice yeah it was really cool I would have said yes if we were on the stage as well Or what do you yeah, reckon? <laughs> what do you reckon? Yeah, yeah. No, I would be able to keep that just us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Velvet's Edge podcast with Kelly Henderson, where we believe everyone has a little velvet and a little edge. Subscribe for more conversations on life, style, beauty, and relationships. Search Velvet's Edge wherever you get your podcasts. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. 
If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.